It's only Wednesday. But it feels like Friday. I don't know. There's just so much going on, and uh, we have a great show ahead of I think it's going to be a good show. We'll see what the audience throws back at me. As always, I'm going to throw everything I have at the audience. We'll see what comes back. But um, tonight we are preparing for a little bit of a break. Like I said, it's not going to be a full break because I'll be uploading from the, the road. And depending on what the uh, the um, the internet is like, maybe I'll do some live streams and things like that. Fill up the week from the Jay Gulinello Perpetual Health Seminar. The uh, that'll be nice. You know, it's it's really uh, really something that. Of any of the, the times that we have gone on the road for a little bit, Lauren and I, the baby, the last couple of years, usually there's like one one week out of the year that we find a way to, to, to get out, whether we go up to Maine. I'd love to go back there again. Oh, I heard. Did you hear everybody up in Maine? Did you hear that George Soros bought tw- like two dozen, according to, the, um, according to the thing I was reading here before? What is it from? Semaphore. Media political divide plays out in Maine. This was updated a couple of days ago. The scoop, local media in the state of Maine has emerged as an unlikely and asymmetric battlefield for big American political money. What? What's going on? Well, two of the country's key left-leaning political spenders, George Soros' Open Society Foundation and the medical device billionaire philanthropist Hanjorg Weiss. Hanjorg Weiss? I don't even know who that is played a central and previously unreported role in the nonprofit purchase of nearly two dozen respected local newspapers in Maine. So it looks like they're trying to button up New England for good. Including the Portland Press Herald, the Lewiston Sun Journal, and the Kennedy Journal. The July announcement by the National Trust for Local News was greeted with relief by the paper's management, unionized employees and readers, who had feared a sale to the sort of cost-cutting investors that had scooped up troubled local news organizations in the past, I guess. Oh, don't worry about that. George Soros and his little uh, toady minion Alex, for the foreseeable future, want to make sure that everything, uh, I don't know. So there you go. Local DAs, local newspapers, they want it all, baby. Anyway, Maine is a beautiful place, and I'd love to go back to it. I just won't be reading the newspaper while I'm up there. Um, so that's uh, that's just one thing I want to throw out. But welcome to the show. I think um, we don't we were going to be speaking with Nick Hinton tonight, but we had to reschedule. And um, and that is all right, because whenever Nick comes on, it'll be the right time and we'll have a good conversation. So as for tonight, I have a few other things that we're going to be doing in the second half of the show. I'm going to introduce it to you in just a second because I want you to get some ideas thinking uh, or boiling in your little your little head over there. I want to hear about lost and found stories, things that you had lost. That turned up. In unlikely ways, many years later, like the most incredible lost and found stories that you have. I would like to hear about those, at least mixed into all the other topics that will come up tonight. And the other topic that is going to be uh, resounding after a little bit of an F-35 update 
is uh, the topic of Cluster B societies, our Cluster B society. And it is all uh, based on the, the, the most recent release of work of Christopher Rufo, who I'd love to have on the show someday. But I think this should open up um, quite a bit of quite a bit of thought-provoking material and hopefully discussion-provoking material. You know, there's no right or wrong thing. However, the material, uh, the subject matter, the topics, the rotation for any show hits you. Whatever it inspires you, you want to say or brings up that's related thought, just call in with it. And that's what I hope we can fill up the two hours with. So that's what we have. And um, I would like to say that tonight will be the last show on Theta. I'm afraid. Uh, I've really enjoyed the time there. I had a lot of, it had a lot of promise, a lot of stability as a platform. But I guess they're just going in a different direction with the NFT stuff that I don't know anything about. So that's that. Uh, it, I think that streaming is still going to be live there for a few more days, but I figure it's the end of the week. Let's just let's just start the new week fresh. So I really in, encourage everybody on Theta who watches there regularly. A, I'm sorry, I would have never cut it if they didn't change their website up um, because you know decentralized. I like to prioritize over that that over anything else these days. But please join us on QuiteFrankly.tv. Uh, starting on Sunday night, 9 p.m., because I will be live with Matt Christensen, and we will be live syndicating that stream on 9, 9 p.m. on Sunday night. That'll be essentially most of the Sunday night programming. Then I'll pick some stuff for afterwards. But then next week, you can just kick it off with us, and that is as independent a website as it gets, powered by as independent a network as it gets, Foxhole, connected to pill.net, um, so I, that's what I would say. If you're if you're you're jumping ship at Theta, get on over to quitefrankly.tv, please. All right. Okay. Well, I think that's all. Thank you to uh, Blue Monster Prep. I was just looking through Blue, Blue Monster Prep today because now that I'm starting to get through um, other, I'm starting to take inventory of whatever the hell we have to know what we need a little bit more of, what we don't have at all, and I just keep. I just get waves of gratitude for being linked up with BlueMonsterPrep.com because there's many years that I was like, man, I really want a survival food and preparation company to be with us, not just food, but everything. And they are the full, the full uh, package deal there because they even train you how to use the equipment that they sell. They're certified and authorized to do all of that stuff as they train law enforcement and emergency services all over the country. So get in touch with Pat and Gina and just see what your house needs, see what your your vacation home needs, your fallback shelter, whatever the hell it is, your storm cellar. Just get things in there. Solar power generators, two-way radios. Make sure that you have less to think about than the person next to you whenever the unexpected hits. All right. Um, all right. First thing up on the grad bag. We have plenty of time to just stretch our legs tonight. First thing up is from studyfinds.org. Studyfinds.org, and it says, Constitutional confusion. Confusion about what? Survey reveals Americans woefully uninformed about their own rights. You're kidding me. The U.S. Constitution was a collaborative effort undertaken by many of Americans, America's founding fathers. James Madison played an especially crucial role in drafting the supreme law of the U.S. 
and as such as is often referred to as the father of the Constitution. One can't help but wonder what President Madison would think about the results of a new survey by the Annenberg Public Policy Center of the University of Pennsylvania. In short, the poll suggests a troubling number of Americans are incredibly uninformed when it comes to their own constitutional rights. Even worse, the 2023 or, uh, Annenberg Constitution Day Civic Survey, an annual poll released every Constitution Day, September 17th, also found that a significant number of Americans can't even name the three branches of the government. More specifically, while two-thirds of Americans, 66%, can name the three branches, 10% can only list two. Another 7% can only name one, and an astounding 17% can't name a single branch. Meanwhile, when respondents were asked to name all of the rights guaranteed by the First Amendment to the Constitution, most Americans, 77%, could only name one, the freedom of speech. So, that's it. Do Americans know what freedom of speech is? Besides freedom of speech, 77% being the most widely remembered right guaranteed by the First Amendment, another 40% of Americans were able to name the freedom of religion. 33% could name the right to assembly. 28% remember the freedom of the press. And a meager 9% recalled the right to petition the government, redress of grievances. In total, just 5% of the U.S. adults could correctly cite all five um, uh, f five First Amendment rights and 30% named three or four. So, even though most people only knew one of the of the Bill of Rights, of that, how many knew that there's five rights baked into it? And then, you know, l l here's another fun fact for you. Six out of six Americans have no representation in the government that they vastly misunderstand. How's that for a fun fact? All six. <laughs> so tell me where that leaves us. That we have no representation. I brought it up again this morning. It needs to be drilled down. 435 people in the House of Representatives do not represent anything, any portion, any portion of 340 million. No way. But hey, um... At least, uh, at least everybody knows how to say the word insurrection. So at least the average, uh, the average American had their vocabulary expand by one word, and it's and it's uh, multisyllabic too, or is it polysyllabic? Anyhow, anyhow, moving on. Speaking of rights, moving on to New York City. There's a little bit over here with Eric Adams. Oh, you know what? Hold on a second. Just give me a second. Wait, wait, wait. I have to re I have to renew my parking. What the fuck? My payment failed. Oh, I'm screwed. Oh, I'm screwed. My initial payment failed. You know what that means? That means that I just I'm going to be paying $35 for parking now. $35 for parking. Hold on. Let me expand this to 9 9 p.m. Let's see if this one goes through. Confirm payment. Parking was successfully created. Too bad, an hour and a half ago, when you thought you were covered, you were dinged. I'm going to go out there. There's going to be a ticket on my car. There's no doubt about it. Damn it. Just when you thought you did everything right. 
All right, let's move on to New York City, where the parking tickets are a lot bigger than $35. Staten Island residents legally formed. This is from Sal Greco's Twitter account. Staten Island residents legally protested illegal aliens being allowed to invade a former senior citizen home last night by Mayor Eric Adams. And he thinks it's unacceptable and sent drones, 300 plus cops, and arrested 10 peaceful protesters. Listen to this. And I need us to get through this together. And how we get through it is not what we saw in Staten Island last night, where people are banging and using derogatory terms to identify people based on their ethnicity. That is not who we are as a city. We're 8.3 million people that are tolerant and acceptable. No, we're not. No, we're not. No, no, the city is not 8.3 million tolerant and, ex- and accepting people. It's not. Everybody's looking out for their own thing. Everybody's looking out for their own interests. And where uh, people are decent, yeah, most people, yeah, they, they don't take... They, they, that whole, we walk around, you know, with the, with the you know, holding the fate of, of the of civilization against our bosom. And all we think about is, is being accepting of people. No, he gives a shit being accepting everybody just wants to get on with their lives and um and good for good for staten island for doing what they're doing but 300 plus cops they arrested 10 and it's getting ugly just everybody's got to take note about this one and i told you that they are pretending not to want this all this all of this to avoid doing the only thing that is warranted in this situation, which is the expulsion of the invaders. Has nothing to do about where they came from. I don't care if they're all from Poland. I don't care if they're all from Luxembourg. Get them the fuck out. But he's willing to flex this kind of muscle on citizens, though. Definitely willing to do that. And it is just a little bit of a market test, no doubt about it. All right, moving from there to, um, to a New York Yankee always have a special place in our hearts if you were a 90s kid or older former yankee david wells trashes nike colin kaepernick and men in women's sports it's not right and it's dangerous he said boomer was the best he really was this guy can throw strikes with his eyes closed Former MLB pitcher and two-time World Series champion David Wells took shots at Nike for the company's support of former NFL player Colin Kaepernick when he kneeled during the United States National Anthem. Wells spoke to Fox Business Mar- uh, Maria Bartiromo and explained that he had uh, that had he been playing when Kaepernick took a knee during the National Anthem, he would have cut out the Nike logo from his jersey. Nike famously began an ad campaign when the quarterback short, uh, uh, shortly uh, with the quarterback shortly after his publicity stunt, culminating in a widely mocked image of Kaepernick's face that said, believe in something, even if it means sacrifice everything. When Kaepernick took the knee, and you know, against our national anthem, and I'm a huge, huge military supporter, that's why my founda- what my foundation is all about, for Nike to jump on board and reward this guy for that, and the things that are going on, I told myself, if I was playing today's, in today's game, we had Nike jerseys, I'd tape it up, I'd cut a hole in it. Well, in early September 2023, Wells appeared at the New York, New York Yankees Old Timers Day, which was a lot of fun. It was great. It's 25 years since the, 2000, the uh, that historic 1998 team when they won 125 games. Um, they didn't play a game anymore. It's just Old Timers Day. They don't have the game anymore, which sucks. I wanted to see them all play. But um, 
that's all I tuned in for, too. I didn't even watch the game afterwards. Just wanted to see my Yanks. My childhood Yanks. Like my mom used to tell me when I was growing up, and we would watch old Yankees games from the, the late 70s, and she'd say, Frankie, these are my Yankees. These are my Yankees. And then we got to enjoy the, the Yankees of the 90s together. Everybody shared those, but still, you know, me and middle school coming on up and getting getting to live through that that was that was real magical in a magic time the last of the magic years in this country in early september 2023 wells appeared at new york yankees old timers day where he appeared in yankee jersey with tape covering the nike logo which i gotta say i hated it from the moment they put it on there that they're started, they had started to turn these uh baseball uniforms into nascar jackets that there's a Nike uniform right there. They used to be made by Reebok and Majestic or whatever the hell it was. And there was a little bit of a badge in the back of the neck around the collar. Maybe something small and unassuming on, on the left. But the fact that they have it right there on the breast is sick. It looks terrible. But it's already been on the, on the jerseys for years now. And I guess it's going to stay there. So soon they'll have a Charmin's uh, toilet paper logo on the back next to their numbers. Fox sports reporter Disha Thozar reported that not only did Wells cover the Nike logo when he asked when he was asked why he replied I hate Nike. <laughs> that's 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 David Wells. Oh, this is great. It reportedly convinced others to cover up the logo on their jerseys as well. I didn't even notice. The tape fell off, Wells joked. It wasn't staying on very well, so I had some thicker tape. So I have to find some thicker tape or some stickier tape. The former pitcher for the Yankees, Toronto Blue Jays, and Boston Red Sox also discussed the pol uh, politicization of sports, particularly with transgender athletes competing against women. Quote, now with these companies that are coming out and jumping on board and trying to change the game and put a lot of politics into the game, to me, I think it's confusing a lot of players because they're afraid to speak up. And he was asked about Riley Gaines. Riley Gaines, I mean, she's so spot on when it comes to transgender athletes in sports. Men playing women's sports, it's just, you can't do that. It's not right and it's dangerous. There you go. Now, uh, for those of you who don't know, another thing since it's been 25 years, I say, I gotta play this. When David Wells pitched a perfect game, it was in May of some, May of 1998. He was very famously out the night before, just partying in New York City. I think the, the, the story goes that he was just, he was drunk, drinking. His night ended at 5.30 in the morning. And he went and got one hour sleep. He woke up, and then he went uh, to, to the field to start preparing for a, a 1.30 matinee game. It's a 1.30 in the afternoon game. And the way he said it is that he had the worst bullpen session of his life. That is the, the, the warm-up session prior to going. He said he felt like he had absolutely nothing. He was going to get shelled. And then he proceeds to go, and he pitches a perfect game. 27 up, 27 down. And I just want to relive this moment with you for a moment. Bernie Williams plays a step around the left. The 0-1. Swung on. He's going to get it. Popped up to right field. O'Neal near the line. He makes the catch. David Wells. Drunk. David Wells has pissed a perfect game. 27 up. 27 down. Baseball immortality for David Wells. And the Yankees win the 
Yankees win. And the entire Yankee team is mobbing David Wells just to the first base side of home plate. Drunk as a skunk. As the ball went to right field, Wells backed up toward the third base foul line. And then when Paul O'Neill caught the ball, Wells pumped his left hand up in the air. And he was alone <laughs> for a moment with his thoughts. That's it, it, man. Good times. 25 years. It, that's just not possible. No one was beating him that year. No one. All right, we'll be right back. Don't go anywhere. In fact, help me share this out there. Get it out there. Wherever you're watching, hit the share button and just let people know. It doesn't matter if you're watching live. It doesn't matter if you're watching it five years from now. Tell somebody you know about, quite frankly, the good times. We are here for all the good times during the bad. And all the good times during the good. For that matter. and stand up to us, then they all might stand up. Those puny little ants outnumber us a hundred to one. And if they ever figure that out, there goes our way of life. It's not about food. It's about keeping those ants in line. That's why we're going back. Does anybody else want to stay? Let's rock! Nelson. Let there be drums. Okay, so I got a few things on this F-35 real quick because I, I like the feedback that I'm getting. It's not, it's not the biggest story of the year, but it's an interesting story. And if I keep getting good feedback, I want to keep getting it onto the, uh, onto the record. It's helping me tailor my own opinions about what's going on here. Uh, first one up. Hey, Frank. Here's what I can tell you. This is from Ronan. Ronan Dosho. Ronan says, hey, Frank, here's what I can tell you about the F-35 crash coming from someone who in my military and private sector career in aviation have been no less. I've been no, to no less than 13 crash sites in 23 years. Briefly, that's a typical crash site. Uh, especially for landing in what looks like uh, forested land, my team was tasked with recovering everything. The engine, that will be the most visible, the largest piece to be found in the plane, depending on how fast it was traveling upon impact and what angle of attack it hit the ground or the trees. It could be as far as three quarters of a mile away along the same line of travel. I hate to say that it's normal. I have to say that it's normal, but it is. Keep in mind, aircraft are made of various grades of aluminum, 
which is relatively soft compared to steel. And lastly, that guy who called in and suggested all aircraft can be traced and or hacked in some kind of nefarious manner is full of crap. Especially considering the F-35 has been known to be a problematic aircraft. By the way, um, you have never lived until you found a pilot's helmet and his head was still in it. Oh, jeez. No. Well, I guess I don't want to live. I guess I'll just, I'll just remain in the land of the dead forever then. Jeez. Louise. Uh, okay, so there's a little bit more there. And as far as what's coming out of the, the media, d don't expect to really get... You're going to get jerked around by everybody. And, um, and especially the New York Post, which, you know, I go to them for some things. I can riff really well with New York Post-level reporting, but it is getting bad. It really is. I'll give you an example. I went and grabbed this article because the headline, F-35 pilot ejected from $100 million jet over South Carolina due to bad weather as experts reveal why plane couldn't be tracked. I said, I'm going to read this because bad weather, you jump out of a plane? I know that the F-35 is, is, is all-weather capable. Most of our fight, fighter jets have been that for a, a long time. Uh, so th this can't be it. But this is the headline they gave everybody. You read a little bit more into it. Not too deep either. The pilot who ejected from a $100 million F-35 fighter jet claimed to have lost the plane in the weather and likely bailed out before he could activate his tracking system, sources and the experts said. He's unsure of where his plane crashed, said that he lost it in the weather. So what he's saying is that he lost sight of the aircraft after he ejected because it might have been overcast or something like that. He, he didn't jump bail out of the plane because there, it, there was I don't know, storm clouds coming. It's the writing, the whether it's 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 being deceptive to get clicks, or the right the quality of the writing is just so poor. Which it could be a, it could be both at this point. But man, man, New York Post way off the mark, man. Seriously. But uh, there you go. Military officials have not yet released a specific reason for the pilot's hasty exit. Oh, really? I thought I, I thought it was the cirrus clouds that confused him. He had to eject. So make sure you read the articles, if you're going to read them at all, with a very, very, very discern... Just, just comb through. Then have your thesaurus and your dictionary out. All right, but here's a little bit more testimony from down on the ground over there in the Carolinas. It's been getting around a little bit. There was an eyewitness to all of this. And listen, I found it on Reddit. Talked to a man who lives out it was sent there. to me. He told me he actually heard the plane as it was flying past his house and crashing nearby, but he didn't know what it was. Wait, why the hell is this doing this? First of all, hold on. Put that all the way up, this all the way up, and why is this half of an image? Get the hell out of Talk here. Talk to a man who lives... Get the... F Just give me a moment. I'm going to re-load this. And I'm going to pray that I'm not messed with again. All right, here we go. Talk to a man who lives out here. He told me he actually heard the plane as it was flying past his house and crashing nearby, but he didn't know what it was. I'm almost... 
October the 6th, I'll, I'll be 72 years old. Randolph White retired from his job at the paper mill in Georgetown 10 years ago. He lives in this house with his wife in a very rural area of Williamsburg County. Well, it's nice and quiet and peaceful, and I don't, I, I don't have to worry about people look, look, close up tight. You know, I like space. He loves living about two miles away from where he grew up. Normally, it's pretty quiet, but on Sunday afternoon... I was in the, uh, in the bathroom taking a shave, and I heard a, a screeching, solid, between a screech and a whistle. I said, what in the world is this? And I heard a boom. Then my whole house shook. White says he didn't realize it was a plane at the time, so he didn't call anybody. The first thought came to me. I said, well, that must be still a meteorite coming out of space or something. And I said, well, if the airplane, it needed to be reported. The thing was flying just too low. So yesterday evening, I said, the helicopters, I'm out here walking. Choppers keep flying around. I said, well, somebody must, somebody must have robbed a banker, killed some people or whatever. Oh, well, they didn't rob a bank. But there was, there's what, there you got it. I love the screeching, the squeeching, uh, uh, whining sound. You know, people are wondering whether or not this is going to get remixed. I don't know. Maybe there was like a golden age of, of taking, taking witness, any kind of, uh, witness testimony from the news and turning them into like, I don't know, hits. We're talking about pop hits that would chart. Uh, Charles Ramsey. I, I still play Charles Ramsey on this show all the time. It's a good time. It was like a golden age. But I, I don't know what you can do with that other than that. I mean, something has to be done with the scream. Obviously. But uh, you, we'll, we'll see what the what the internet comes up with. You know somebody's working on it right now. Somebody is. They're working on it right now. All right. Here's another one I got for you. This is from... Is this about the F-35? No, this is about something else. This is about uh, the, the border, I think. Good evening, Frank. I'm the former Marine that wrote you a while back about the U.S.'s ability to go toe-to-toe with Russia. I haven't, he's, he pretty much said, no, it's not going to happen. We would, we would lose quickly. I have an interesting thought I'd love to hear your opinion on regarding the migrant invasion insanity. I think you're right. It's 100% a military action. I'm going to do my best to present my thoughts concisely. Originally, I thought these, uh, these people have been brought here to fight against us, Americans, to replace us or fight for them. On the surface, it absolutely looks that way. That being said, I have a thought, and mind you, I don't know either way. If we recall our Civil War history, what did the North do to the Irish? When the Irish were landing here to participate in the American dream, the North said, and I paraphrase, of course, sign up with us, fight the South, and we'll give you a place here. Uh, in my opinion, the United States military is done. It's fake and gay, like everything else they've been, they've been doing the last 20 years. Look at Ukraine. NATO has thrown practically three full armies at Russia, and not only has Russia defeated them, they haven't even used their regulars. What if they're going to use this Irish tactic on these migrants as a last-ditch effort? Feel free to share or use my thoughts as you wish. Um, and please keep me anonymous. Thank you for all that you do. I love your show and tremendous effort. I think it's plausible as anything else. I think it's plausible as anything else. I mean, when the armed forces is using drag queens and cartoons to try to drive recruitment among young Americans who, by and large, cannot pass. Over three-quarters of them cannot pass the physical evaluation tests. 
we're going to start emptying the prisons and we're, we're going to start recruiting uh, foreigners. Which was another thing. Everybody talking about the, the Roman Empire a lot lately. Which was another thing that really, uh, when you start conscripting people who are not Roman, uh, it really goes a, a long way. It really goes a long way in furthering the decline of your whatever the hell it is. Empire, you're just your country, whatever the hell. They have no connection over here. They're mercenaries. And it, it could be. It could be. But when the United States military is using drag queens and cartoons to try to drive, uh, you know, recruitment among uh, young Americans, you know that this is FUBAR. And on a completely related note, that brings me to the bigger topic in the first half. We're going to get around to this other thing that I want to do. In fact, I'll do it right now just so I can plant the seed and you guys can start writing it down while we do this other thing. Here is from the thread tonight. You still have time to go to quitefrankly.tv and jump into the forum. It's free. And find this pinned to the top. The show thread is called Lost and Found. And I was asked by an audience member, Frank, could you share stories of losing something and finding it years later? Now, I'm just going to say, again, lost and found. It doesn't have to be years. It could be months, but it could be just an extraordinary circumstance. It could be many years. It could be decades. Just an extraordinary lost and found story. I'm just going to widen it out a little bit like that, but make sure it's extraordinary. All right. I already have a couple of things in there, and we, maybe we'll get to that in the uh, the second half. I think we will have plenty of time. So keep that in mind. But for now... Um, Speaking of FUBAR, where the hell is that other thing? Wait a second. Hold on. I have a uh, little bit of an issue right now. I'm looking for the video that I was putting up. Hold on. Not to worry. Not to worry. I can just throw another one up on the screen right now. So this is the video that we're going to queue up in just a second here. You're not a ma- There we go. All right, perfect. Now that that's out of the way. So speaking of FUBAR, on a completely related note, that brings us to this video that was released on Twitter today by Christopher Rufo, and we have covered his work in the past. It's at least contributed to conversations. He does a lot of great threading, a lot of uh, cultural analysis, not just analysis, but deep dives. Deep dives into the think tanks and the institutions that actually go and have the... They have the, the stated goal, the mission to go and change human behavior for obviously the worst. When you talk about limiting a person's ability to be independent, either in thought or in action or anything like that. And, and that's what we have here. So he said this with his latest video. It's 11 minutes long, but I want to watch it with you. We'll stop along the way. It'll go by pretty quick. Um, I watched about half of it or so before, and I know it's going to be good. But he said this, American culture has been sent adrift. In a new short film, I show how a strange new pattern of psychopathologies, I know Lindsay Sharman's going to like this one, has deranged our institutions and plunged our public life, plunged our public life into hysteria, narcissism, and moral theatrics, all in the name of care. Welcome to the Cluster B Society. So let's jump in on this, and uh, along the way, only a couple of times, we will stop and maybe get some of your your opinions as well. Here we go. 
You're not imagining that the world has gone mad. Healthy debate has been replaced by activist hysterics. Masculinity is condemned as regressive, while men in skirts and heels are celebrated in the public square. It's as if we're experiencing a society-wide mental breakdown. It's easy to laugh at these outbursts as the ravings of a small but vocal minority, but the compromised health of our body politic is not a trivial concern. A strange new pattern of psychological dysfunction has infiltrated our most prestigious institutions, our corporate bureaucracies, and the highest offices in the land. In short, we're sick. Our society is out of balance. We've been consumed by a cluster of disorder that appeals to our worst instincts and deranges our most important social functions. We need to recover our sanity, but to do so, we must first know exactly what we're dealing with. Every historical period develops unique psychological characteristics that shape public life. After World War I, we had the lost generation that was shell-shocked and disillusioned. In the mid-20th century, we entered the age of anxiety, characterized by a pervasive sense of existential dread in the face of the bomb. And 50 years ago, we saw the rise of the culture of narcissism, which social critic Christopher Lash described as a society obsessed with ego, desire, and self-image. Today, we are witnessing the emergence of something new, what might be called a cluster B society. Like the culture of narcissism, our own digital age has a distinct psychological profile, heavily influenced by the power of social media. The cameras are always on. An audience is always watching and narcissism has transformed into hysteria, moral theatrics, emotional volatility, self-indulgence, and outbursts of violence. Psychologists have captured the spirit of our modern culture in four specific psychopathologies that together comprise the cluster B personality disorders. Now, some of these are gonna be very, very familiar to you all because we discussed them on this show, uh, especially, you'll see, HPD. Narcissistic personality disorder is characterized by a sense of entitlement, obsession with one's own self-importance, and deep feelings of resentment, often expressed through moral self-righteousness. Borderline personality disorder is characterized by an unstable sense of identity, black and white thinking, feelings of emptiness, and recurring self-harm and suicide attempts. Histrionic personality disorder is characterized by excessive emotionality, sexual provocation, and attention-seeking, often to serve a pathological need for sympathy. And antisocial personality disorder is characterized by impulsivity, manipulation, disregard for others, and a penchant for violence and aggression that violates social norms. Now, I want to also stop there, uh, too, and, you know, while this is a really great way of diagnosing what's going on, the other thing to remember, too, is going into the future, we often come to the conclusion that, listen, either way we win. Uh, I Obviously, there's not going to be any soft landings. There's only going to be hard landings, and there's only going to be hard times. But eventually, eventually, things will self-regulate. But, I mean, who knows if we're talking about, uh, you know, clawing back from the ruins of a very catastrophic global kinetic war or whether it is just a economic collapse more just more who the hell knows what it is it's going to take time now the the real thing here is that whether we win or whether they win they still lose and the big reason is these personality disorders that that makes the foundation of what is going on in the the statist left 
Okay, and that includes progressive neocon types. Anybody that wants to centralize power and nitpick and really control, micromanage the human species, that, that, is, that is just what is going on. Now, to be able to recruit people to your cause, they have chosen uh, playing to people's insecurities, drilling new insecurities and psychoses into them. And when you have everybody that's so narcissistically driven by things, what you don't understand is they, they like to push little, little uh, I don't know, concepts like intersectionality out there. Well, I don't care how many different social or special, uh, special uh, interest groups you have in the room who are supposedly all intersectional and they all want the same thing for the same reason. They're narcissists. They all believe that their cause needs the most attention and the quickest. Okay, there is a hierarchy and they all believe that they are individually at the top of it, unless your spot in the hierarchy is to be, you know, you know, self-flagellating and you are the jester, you are the clown, you are the uh, the punching bag. And, you know, you're making up for some kind of imaginary guilt that was imparted onto you. Everybody gets privilege. Everybody gets guilt. And and that's what's what happens there. So um, you're this is the foundation for a movement. It is always going to lose. They're always going to self-cannibalize. It's always going to happen because there is actually no unity. You have given, you're trying to piece together a majority. You know the pie chart, how many, whatever. With everybody, they're trying to get past that 51% majority by piecing together little slices of the pie, by putting everybody in their own little demographics and make sure that they are given this, uh, you know, rainbow coalition, it's all of us against the world kind of a thing. And if they ever get that 51% and they make it permanent, then they're going to have to deal with their own self-interest, which is always going to collide, and they're always going to eat themselves up because nobody's actually looking to, to live a good life and to be a good neighbor and to actually have good, wholesome things happen. It is a, it's hell, okay? You've got hell. You're living hell, and you don't, that doesn't go away. That doesn't go away. You can't, you're, you can't just, I don't know. You've got to be exercised when you're, when you're possessed like that. So it's really a, a great job by Rufo for showing really in a, a, a glimpse right there the foundation upon which all this is built. But this cluster of social pathologies is no longer an individual matter. It has begun to shape the patterns and structures of our entire culture, which is quickly becoming a cluster B society that replaces disagreement with accusation, uses false compassion to manipulate citizens into compliance, honors victimhood instead of accomplishment, and enforces the whole scheme with the threat of violence. For most of our history, significant personality disorders were treated as problems and largely relegated to the fringes of society. But in our emerging Cluster B society, the narcissist, the borderline, the hysteric, and the antisocial psychological types have been elevated into positions of power and celebrated by our institutions. The new status quo is an emerging leadership class that rules through emotional blackmail. Powerful institutions use the cover of various victim groups to impose their agenda on the rest of us. If we dissent, we're branded as hateful bigots. We're accused of lacking empathy. We're ritualistically banished. While these strategies are contemptible, they're also remarkably effective in controlling what we think, 
what we say and how we act. And they've slowly transformed our institutions into what psychologist Andrei Lobachevsky calls pathocracy, or rule by psychological dysfunction. This has become our new social order. If you look around, you'll start seeing it everywhere. The cluster B traits have been formalized and entrenched in our human resource departments, government policies, cultural institutions, and civil rights law. This is a recruiting video from the CIA that overtly valorizes the cluster B traits of narcissistic identity obsession, self-righteousness, and need for affirmation. I am a cisgender millennial who's been diagnosed with generalized anxiety disorder. You, you remember when we did that one? It's all, and that is the CIA. They're saying we want, we want the most tortured people with a, 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 a chip on their shoulder the most identity-obsessed people in the world to come here with, to work for central intelligence. Show everybody how you shine. I mean, man, oh man. In a cluster B society, psychological disorders become markers of distinction, distinction. rather than problems to be solved. Politics, too, has been infected. Here. We need trans people. We love trans people. Trans people belong here. This is a state senator engaged in deranged moral theatrics with all of the attention-seeking, black and white thinking, and excessive emotionality associated with Cluster B. So um, I want to recognize that your line of questioning um, is transphobic, <laughs> um, and it opens up trans people to violence by not recognizing them. And finally, we see Kiara Bridges, a law professor at UC Berkeley who demonstrates the kind of antagonism, emotional manipulation, an accusatory tone that has become a staple of political discourse. The goal is not to arrive at answers, but to browbeat opponents and make them feel bad for denying left-wing orthodoxy. And notice that the, the biggest standard bearers for them all are women. Just note, I'm, I'm, I'm sure that, uh, I mean, he's already mentioned it at some point there too, but this, this is why I always point it out too. It's not because I'm a sexist or uh, whatever, or I can't stand women or anything like that. It's just, this is spearheaded by short-circuiting liberal women, driven by unfocused, unrestrained, feminine chaos energy. That's what it is. It's irrational, it's unaccountable, and it's being magnified under the banner of liberalism, or liberation, I should say. You know, are, are you a tyrant who can't be reasoned with? Well, if you're a man, they'll call you a fascist. If you're a woman, they'll call you a bad bitch girl boss. Get it, queen. That's what they'll call you if you're, if you're an unreasonable tyrant. Now, with a touch of the opposite power inside of that half, that's the essence of the yin and the yang. You know, feminine energy is given focus and a beneficial degree of subdual by the masculine all right not only that it's in it's in balance with as as a counterpart but inside of itself and for the masculine a touch of that feminine energy softens what is otherwise a very mechanical stable and highly more predictable profile okay willpower clarity focus that is traditionally masculine traits and with a touch of that feminine in it you have a just a you have a, a nice hint of dynamic creativity. I mean, that is the balance that we always talk about that is deliberately being disrupted. 
And, and, and this is why feminism was a prime weapon of choice in slowly dismantling Western civilization. And we are in the late stages of that burnout right now. And it is a burnout because every mic drop is embarrassing. I mean, I feel like we are watching. I feel like anybody out there feeling like they're fighting the, the power and screaming at a, at a, 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 a pussy hat march somewhere for a camera talking about abortion and whatever and whatever. I, I mean, they, they think that they're making good points if they don't run away altogether. But everybody looks like they ought to be inside of a padded room with a straight jacket on. I mean, this is burnout time. Also, from Monday, from Monday night's talk with Matt Christensen, I had one or two people get in touch with me and, um, and, and remind me that, hey, Frank, you know, I took a little exception with what Matt said there because, you know, not all girls are being raised wrong. And uh, on social media, I think girls are getting a pretty bad rap. And I would agree with that to a degree because the that degree being I never generalize I never broad stroke that uh, that um, completely but the way I see it girls are getting a bad rap because they're being groomed to be bad in ways that they don't know okay and there are plenty of well-adjusted girls that uh, that, that uh, out there that guys would be proud to write home to mom about but the dominant culture that the collective is seeking to install in girls and in boys is unnatural, okay? Boys are being groomed into bad candidacy as well with their submissiveness and the self-esteem and the guilt complexes and all that shit. You know, um, I, 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 see a lot of the, I see a lot of the things that I uh, took on through not only just school, though I don't really feel like I got it really that bad. Um, None of what they were trying to do to me in college was released. I was, I was a, uh, I didn't understand why, but I was a little bit of a stick in the spokes in college, in especially my sociology classes. I, I didn't understand it. If I were in there right now, I would be reviled. But um, maybe I was just, they just saw me as obtuse and not really understanding. But obviously there was a, a very deep-seated culture there that was that was brewing, and I, I had to I had to examine myself a lot too, the way I lived. Anyway, anyway, this is why so many traumatized men want to be women these days. Probably, I mean, women used to stuff their shoulder pads in the corporate uh, in uh, in the the corporate sector to stack up to people in the workplace, and now men are putting on wigs to try to get ahead. So, uh, pop culture, if embraced turns everyone into the worst version of themselves. I guess I can say that in short. But in this particular simulation, the power, the power is being primarily rewarded to one side. That is women, that is the uh, the unholy feminine, okay? Um, now, whether it's really power, I don't think so. I think it's all very degrading. And I don't think it's, I think it's uh, administrative tokenism. I think in the, the slave world, the prison planet that they're building for us all, they are seeing that the psychological profile of liberal women is very, very conducive to finding, uh, you know, uh, prison wardens who are ruthless and are just, they go wild. They go far more out of control than the men do. Especially since they've been taught that, oh, nobody should ever lay a hand on you, queen, but you go out there and you be the boss that you need to be. Now, is that really power or is that administrative tokenism? I don't know. Okay. Um, but, um, 
But a new kind of slave society is what we're living in right now. The kind of society that brings Corinne Jean-Pierre into positions of prominence. Is she really a talented person or is she a token administrator inside of a big government funhouse? Okay, it's all it's all an illusion, but inside of the illusion there is there's real authority that is given to people who have been turned into animals. And that authority no matter how illegitimate can be made can make your life a living hell so these are things we have to realize the modern university is the primary laboratory for the cluster b pathologies on campus the pathocracy rules the social critic heather mcdonald reveals the basic contours of this regime in an essay entitled the great feminization of the university mcdonald argues that the dramatic rise in the number of female college administrators who now dominate the campus culture has led to a growing obsession with safety harm and victimization rather than prioritize academic achievement and substantive debate administrators have elevated nebulous therapeutic concepts such as trauma white fragility and systemic injustice. As McDonald notes, when students claim to be felled by ideas that they disagree with, the feminized bureaucracy does not tell them to grow up and get a grip, it validates their self-pity. As a result, American college students have found themselves in the midst of an unprecedented mental health crisis. According to the University of Michigan's Healthy Mind study, more than 60% of college students meet the criteria for at least one mental health problem a nearly 50% increase since 2013. The more we indulge cluster B style pathologies, the more we replicate them in our institutions. But rather than reverse course, university administrators have only leaned further into this broken model. Students are told that they are always under attack, that their safety is always threatened. And rather than strengthen them for meeting these challenges, administrators fight to sanitize the campus environment and shut down any speech deemed harmful or offensive. This is the perfect- It's a matriarchy. That's why it's a matriarchy. They have let chaotic feminine energy run amok. That's it. Recipe for enabling and encouraging cluster B style narcissism and hysteria. Scenes and sentiments like these have become ubiquitous and they work I'm uncomfortable because this event is tearing at the fabric of this community that I care about. As we saw recently at Stanford Law School, the Dean of Diversity and Inclusion, working in a codependent manner with hyperventilating students, disrupted the speech of a federal judge. The Dean accused the judge of causing harm and making her uncomfortable. This is all it takes to justify the mob. It's cluster B-powered pathocracy in action. The cluster B pathologies have a remarkable power of transmission. And like a pathogen leaking from a lab, they've broken containment and are spreading through the rest of society. The messaging of our major corporations is looking more and more like the celebration of disorder, yeah. whether it's attempting to normalize gender dysphoria or rewriting the standards of health and beauty. Social media has only accelerated these trends. Sites like TikTok have become a breeding ground for mental illness, especially in teenage girls 
who mimic the cluster B behaviors they see online and have seen skyrocketing rates of anxiety and depression in the real world too. The sudden explosion of transgenderism follows the same line of development. Transgender individuals are 30 times more likely to suffer from the cluster B personality disorders compared to the general population. And more than 50% of mothers with gender dysphoric boys suffer from borderline personality disorder, a remarkable transmission of psychopathology. Much of the recent left-wing violence has also taken on the cast of the Cluster B disorders. The George Floyd riots were remarkable in part for their psychological tone. Wild emotional displays, narcissistic identity rituals, and victimology manifested in the streets. The antisocial personalities have learned how to wield left-wing ideology in order to justify their violence and terror. As psychologists have long known, there is a long-established link between violent personalities and left-wing authoritarianism. The mugshots of Antifa foot soldiers drive home the point. These are not mentally well people. They are the hideous face of antisocial violence, the enforcement arm of the modern left, the political vanguard of our Cluster B society. And they will not stop until they've transformed the world in their own image. Anonymous right-wing critics have taken to calling this strange new Cluster B regime the Longhouse, a matriarchal form of society that privileges the values of care, concern, and feminine social strategies. In an essay for the magazine First Things, the pseudonymous writer Lomez explains that women now outnumber men in professional managerial roles and vastly outnumber men in human resource departments which have outsized influence on professional and cultural norms. The left, too, is now acknowledging the emergence of the Longhouse. In her presidential campaign, Hillary Clinton confidently declared that the future is female. And in an essay for The Atlantic, Hannah Rosen heralded this change with an essay titled The End of Men. Both were correct, but while some are celebrating this shift, our female future is not an unalloyed good. Despite what we're told, biological sex differences are real, and an imbalance between the two has negative effects for everyone. Taken too far, overly feminized leadership produces exactly the kind of Cluster B society we're living in today. One in which identity is rewarded over merit, in which victimhood is prioritized over competence, in which antisocial behavior goes unchecked, in which moral narcissism is the currency of the realm. The Cluster B society is upon us, and we must find a way out. We must find a way to restore balance, to restore order, to restore sanity, because if we don't, we are resigned to a world gone mad. If you want a picture of that future, imagine this person screaming in your face forever. There you go. That's uh, Christopher Rufo's work. That's the real question. It's the real question. How do you restore balance? How do you do it? How do you do it? Well, it's really simple. It would be really simple if it were a simple task to to uh, to take over, re you know, reestablish a foothold in all of those institutions, whether they be. I I think the real thing is the money. The real thing is the money. All of the the aid, the the universities need to be choked to death, choked to death. Okay, there will always be people out there who will be rich enough to send their kids to the best schools. Everybody else, the common person that they are trying to destroy. All right, 
uh, those who are, be gro- who are being groomed to take on the leadership roles in the next generations, they are not going to be sent to the, the, uh, the schools, the, the public schools where everybody's having you know Pride Month and all they're talking about is sexuality and gender expression and this and that, and they're becoming so fragile that they can't have a conversation about anything. Um, that's, not, that's, that's for us. That's for the little people. If there's just a way, just a way to make all the money go away, oh boy, that would be, that would cure a lot of immigration. You want to talk about deportations. You want to look at self-deportations? Let the money dry up. I mean, there's just so much. Well, what do you think about that? What came up for you along the way? I'd love to take some of your calls in the second half of the show. When we come back, we're going to start with your super chats. We'll jump into your calls. I got a little bit over here and there. And then we'll also talk some lost and found in the second half uh, as well. We got a whole hour, and I cannot wait to chill with you all. So with that being said, uh, we will see you soon. And also, that also means we will see you off of YouTube. So uh, make your way over to Rumble or to QuiteFrankly.tv or to Twitch, to DLive, to Twitter, uh, we're going to be adding uh, Telegram and hopefully Odyssey back in here soon. Now that uh, now that uh, Theta is gone and and a few others are being shifted around, but uh, yeah, that's that. We will be right back. Don't go anywhere. Don't worry, Franklies. That's not the end of the show. You can watch the rest of it now. Switch over to QuiteFrankly.tv, Rumble, Theta, Rockfin, and more. Switch over now, and we'll see you there. It's intermission time, folks. Time out to press the like button. Thank you. Welcome to intermission. We'll, We'll be right back. Quite frankly. 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 Quite frankly, quite frankly, quite 
Okay. All right. I'll tell you, I don't like I don't like leaving people behind on YouTube. I don't like it. But you know, when we get kicked off of YouTube, they're left behind anyway. And if we just do little things that don't hurt too much to remind everybody of how we live in a world where we have to be able to at least hop away from, you know, from, I don't know, from platforms that just don't like us just for the sake of forming habits that will keep us in touch longer. That's all. I, I'm actually doing this because I want to stay in touch with you guys more uh, in all of the, the bumpiness ahead. You don't think that there's going to be another purge before the 2024 election in some way, shape, or form? They had a few of those leading up to the 2020 and then after. So um, anyway, we're back now, and I'm happy to have you all here with me. All right, into the grab bag we go. Oh, into the super chats we go. First one up is from Jay Brits, who said, Frank, put this toward your parking ticket. Cheers, Jay. That Thank you so much. Thank you. I, I didn't say that to to uh, to make parking ticket money. I was just kicking myself because I made a note at 7.05, re-up your parking, you know? It only comes out to about $4 if I do it from the, the app. There's this parking, what's it called? The passport app? I don't know, it, parking passport or something like that. But now I don't have to run all the way downstairs and out, out the door and get to the meter again and all that, that stuff. It's really, really convenient. I didn't notice that uh, the thing didn't go through, but thank you, Jay. We were very nice. Um, also, thank you to everybody who sent very nice cards to Aurora for her birthday with stickers in them and, and little things and very well wishes. Uh, somebody sent her $3, a $2 bill and a $1 bill because she's three. And uh, that was very nice. And I just, I appreciate you all. I wish I could show you some of her reactions. She said, can I hold that card too? I promise you, I'm making sure she will never take for granted the kindness that this audience shows her. She will never take it for granted, ever. Um, I promise you that. Uh, Stostube says, great Wednesday, Frank and Franklies. You know, Stostube, that brings me to the last thing that you said last night. You sent a super chat in the last moments of the show last night. And he said this. Brainstorming Frank, not able to hit up the retreat for Jay Gulanello because it was sold out. But I would like to uh, be there in spirit and support. If you televise the Frank dunk into the ice water for one minute, that will receive a $500 gift. I repeat, to the quite frankly host, and hit three minutes televised gets $1,000. Are you saying that one minute, if I, well, I mean, I don't know, televised. You're saying if I record this and I make it public for one minute, get $500 for one minute. And then $1,000 if I stay in that ice water for three minutes. I, listen, I just want to be able to get up to my neck, count to 10 Mississippi, and say I did it. All right? I will see. We'll see what what I feel like. But I, honestly, I would I would prefer if nobody had their phones out filming me, filming me while I'm doing this. All right. Would would prefer not that happen at all. It's kind of creepy. 
and I would prefer it not to happen. But depending on how um, how I'm feeling the day of, I don't know. I didn't check the I I forget the itinerary. I think that might have been a Saturday morning. Three minutes. Can I do three minutes for a thousand dollars? What can I do with a thousand dollars? What can I do? Oh, I can buy a new Roadcaster in here. I get the, I can get the Roadcaster Pro in here. I can start fiddling with that. And that's five, six hundred dollars. And then the four hundred or so left over, I can get another SM7B and bring that home. And put it at the... Hmm. I don't know. I don't know. Seriously, I, I, I'm... We'll see what happens. But that's very, very fun to think about. For somebody. I don't know. Seriously. Okay, uh, let's see. Steven Ellis says, Good luck with the cold plunge, Frank. It's only going to be one, and we'll see. You know, I, I do reserve the right to say no. Jay says, yeah, but Frank, Jay, no, I'm not doing it. I have the right to say that. You knew, you, you do know that, right? But, you know, knowing me, I'll just I'll just do it. It's going to be, gonna be uh, it'll be something. All right, Robert Sarns. Thank you. Sean Joe, Porpoiseful. Switchrod says, please watch Ivan Raiklin on Bards FM last night. And please watch Colonel McGregor's speech at Ron Paul Institute. All right. I'll be on the lookout for them. Thank you so much, Switchrod. And that's it. Thank you so much, 81138. That's Jesse, 81138. It's great to have you in there. All right, is that all I have? I did quite frankly superchat.com. I did this one, that one, and away we go. All right, so now we're going to take some calls. What do you think about this so far? 914-200-0269. What about this uh, society? What about this society and the thoughts that were put together, the Cluster B Society Thoughts by Christopher Rufo? Plenty of thoughts came up for me along the way. So you can call in on that. That's 914-200-0269. The other number you can call tonight is the hotline that we've set up for the lost and found. It is 914-369-1236. 914-369-1236. And that is for stories of losing something and finding it years later a long time later in a really extraordinary way what was it what were the circumstances the timing i mean there's so many ways that that thing that those stories can be amazing so there you have it there's your two lines lost and found is 914-369-1236 and the general line is 914-200-0269 all right that's what we have so call on in. Uh, first, we have this Elon Musk Neuralink story real quick. I want to throw out, that out there. Did you hear that they are now taking human, uh, human volunteers? Would you ever give yourself up over to this? Now, I ask this. It's not totally out of the question. I'm, I'm not saying it's not totally out of the question for those of you out there who have something, some kind of a... a, a you know, a, a, a handicap, like if you're paralyzed, if you're a, uh, a quadriplegic or a uh, paraplegic, I know there's a lot of people who are going to be willingly 
giving themselves some, you know, some time to think about whether or not that they would use this technology to integrate into their lives and hopefully get some independence back. I would never judge anybody for doing that. Now, as far as the other stated reason why they're doing this, to compete, to compete with AI as it gets more and more um, ahead of the curve, that's something altogether scary as shit. Elon Musk Neuralink looking for people to trial its brain computer chip. The company got the green light from an independent review board to start their brain-computer interface, interface testing on people suffering from paralysis from the cervical spine, cord injuries, or uh, ALS. Musk has previously claimed that his BCI, quote, will enable someone with paralysis to use a smartphone with their mind faster than someone using thumbs. He and his company will now initiate recruitment for the first human trial of its brain implant, but neither stated the number of participants to be enrolled in the trial, which is expected to span approximately six years. During the study, a robot will implant the chip in a brain region responsible for intention to move. Musk's aim is for the person's thoughts to control a computer cursor or a keyboard. And he tweeted out recently, a couple of hours ago, he tweeted, the first human patient will soon receive a Neuralink device. This ultimately has the potential to restore full body movement. In the long term, Neuralink hopes to play a role in AI risk civilizational risk reduction by improving human to AI and human to human bandwidth by several orders of magnitude. Now that, that of course is in the long term, as they say, Ultimately, individuals are going to be greatly helped by this. I can, I can just, I can see that being a thing. But he goes on to say, imagine if Stephen Hawking had this. So, do you know anybody? Do you think you know anybody who would give themselves over to that? At least in the, in the AI competition area. I don't think I know, I don't know. Maybe there would be paralyzed people in my life or elsewhere that would just be like, no thanks. I don't want that in my body no matter what. Let's take a call. Let's take a call from Doc. What's going on? Oh, man. What's going on, Frank? How you been? <laughs> good, good to talk to you, brother. It's good to talk to you, too. Hey, before you get started, uh, would you offer yourself up to this uh, Neuralink thing if you were um, if you were paralyzed in any significant way? You know, I think that's, um, no, not, no, not as it exists. I'm not going to be a test monkey. Plus, I've already, uh, no, actually, I know personally the doctor who did the brain stimulation um, test and kind of like says that that technology that Musk is bringing out is already 20 years old. So mm. I already know that it's already obsolete. So why would I want to participate in it? Oh, okay. All right. Yeah. Well, that's good. That That's something to consider. So what else do you have? Yeah. Oh man, a lot of things. Uh, cluster B, uh, dark triad, um, kind of uh, whole gender, you know, I, you know, kind of an aspect of society. Um, I, I kind of um, went through a, a bout of uh, of dealing with that with a group that I'm a part of here, and really what it comes down to is a subjectively focused um, pathology, like a person who's just so consumed with themselves that they can't even think that there is another individual, right? To the mm -hmm. point where they have to control another individual's speech as to how it is that they perceive them. And so, 
you get what you pay for, you know, and when you look at the origins of gender, gender um, academically falls under the, um, under the classes of sexology, which was founded by John Money. Um, so whenever you're dealing with gender studies, gender identity, which is a self-referential circular logic, you know, what is your gender identity? It's my sense of gender. What is your sense of gender? It's my gender identity. So you get looped in this kind of like self-referential thinking that only has yourself to justify it. And, and really what we need is a return to objectivity, right, to where science is completely subjective now to where it is what I feel that it is. And you're right in your assessment that it, it is a completely, it's a more, I won't say completely, it is a more feminized uh, way of perceiving um, and integrating with the world because it's emotionally based. You know, I feel uncomfortable. I don't know how that makes me feel and where the men come in is by providing like you said an objective basis by which to kind of you know either anchor or push away uh those feelings and then move on to other things within a reasonable rational kind of uh aspect well let me say that let me ask you this doc keck um as far as my uh, my initial thoughts on just the the basis upon which all of the the, the foundation is being built um I mean, we're talking about like the, the bedrock beneath the foundation of this entire movement. Those those psychological um, conditions there, very narcissistic. Everything you're talking about, very subjective, very inwardly focused on the person and their identity. Um, I I think that that is a recipe for disaster in itself. For for just you know complete complete cannibalization, uh, auto cannibalization of the entire movement, because uh, eventually if they ever do win the ultimate social battle against whatever their perceived th- outside threat is, then of course they have to deal with the fact that they all believe that they, their individual um, situation needs to be elevated to the most important, the most urgent matter. And that, it, it, that it instantly puts them in competition with the, all the other people that they have around them. 100% they end up cannibalizing themselves based on, like what you said, that ends up being kind of a, you know, a race to the top of the barrel trying to, you know, tear each other down, kind of like, um, I can't think of the king of the mountain kind of thing, you yeah. know, yeah. <laughs> or queen of the mountain, excuse me. <laughs> yep, that's it. Well, so what yeah. else did you have? Anything else? Well, yeah, and I really think that the answer to the identity is, is more, I mean, because I've really been getting into the law. I've been getting into, like, common law. I actually have a notice of liability that's going to be going out here, like, within the next 48 hours on the spike protein. That's why I've kind of been away from everything. Um, and realizing that, you know, an objective identity is what is needed in order to temper the subjective kind of angst that women feel. And um, and that objective identity is one that exists within Christ, within Yeshua Mashiach. That if you're able to identify yourself within the individual that gave himself for all of our sins, then it allows for the Spirit to come in and kind of like convict you of the things that you need to uh, repent for. Hmm. And a lot of people think that repentance comes first and then believe that that's not the that's generally not the case, uh, because uh, repentance is a prayer, and prayer is a movement of the Spirit, and the only thing that you need to do is to believe. After you believe in it, after you believe in, in an objective uh, entity, an objective creator, which is outside of yourself, that created you and that loves you, that's going to allow for the true healing and identity to come in, because it is by the Creator that your identity is bestowed and given. Hmm. It's not through yourself. Well, then it goes to show once again. There's no, uh, there's no lack of evidence as to why that 
connection would ever be severed. But that is uh, another thing that is a staple in our culture, and that is to remove that that uh, that relationship between the created and the creator. So, um, mm-hmm. yeah, that's it. Well, thank you so much again. It's great to hear from you, Doc. Many blessings. All right, be well. There you, you go. A great first call from Doc Keck. From Doc Keck. So let's take a call. Uh, oh, we got Frankie Fawcett here. What's going on, Frankie? What up, Francis? How you Bro, been? Love, that last call was awesome, wasn't it? Oh, yes. I like that last call. Always. So, so what's on your mind? Don't break it down like this. This neuro shit, right? Mm-hmm. You know me. I'm a funny guy. I like to crack jokes. It's for the soul, man. They're trying to tap into our fucking soul, brother. You, you think that this is the equivalent of the, the trap in Ghostbusters? Exactly like that. Let's okay. go. What do you think? Uh, but, Red pill, blue pill. Hey, Red I... Pill, fuck I, pill. Like, you, you like, know, yo, it's, when, go ahead, you talk. No, 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 no. I, I thought you said, well, forget about it. You, you go ahead. You said, what do you think? So I started talking. My bad. Go ahead. So it's actually what I know. So look, I gave you a little synopsis about me before, right? But I have some of the most powerful friends in the world. I like, like, Forbes 30 for 30. How about this, Francis? Yeah. King of New York. You can Google it, because I don't really talk publicly. So I'm about to drop some bombs. I, I, well, you ready? I, yeah. My cousin, my cousin died on 9-11. My big brother, rest in peace, Christopher Charles Amorosa. Oh, it's already cop. You want to talk about Nike and Colin Kaepernick? Just Google that shit, man. I know your thing is moving. It's about to get real. Wait, you, what? To Google your cousin? Yeah, go ahead. Oh, what's, 9-11 hero. What's his we name? We had a little campaign for Nike against Colin Kaepernick. You'll see Christopher as he's pulling people out of the World Trade Center. He has some gloves on his hands and it's Nike. Knowing what I know now, I'd be like David Wells and tell him to suck it, China. You know what I mean? Yeah. Yeah, well, so let's I, I, circle back to my but, career as a longshoreman on the ports. Growing well, up in the '80s, like us, Frankie, everything said "Made in America," correct? Uh huh. Well, for the most part, correct. No, 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 we had it until NAFTA and the Clintons and all this bullshit that happened, like Kennedy dying and that little witch coming into New York. You don't get goosebumps, get goosebumps. I could stop this and I could probably be a guest on your show, right? But I want to wrap it up with Neuralink. Go ahead. The top of the World Trade Center is now called the Freedom Tower, and one of my best friends, brother, his name's Brian Urban, runs one at a time. Google it. <laughs> That's indeed what they're doing, merging with machines. It took me three years to even walk into that building. I'm going to end it now. Uh-huh. Godwin told me. You know that, right? Yeah, I feel it in my bones. I know. So just smile. We're honored to have you at the helm. You know my number. Maybe I'll get ready to divulge a lot more, but America's the greatest country that I ever lived, dog. That Constitution, that Bill of Rights, this invasion, sound like Donkey Kong, my brother. Godspeed, I love you. Godspeed, there you go. Frankie comes to the, uh, he comes to the the the, the, uh, the the show with a lot, offers a lot. It's a uh, cornucopia. Just lays it all out there for you. Right when you go and Google one thing, you got something else to Google. That was <laughs> but yeah, uh, the, the Neuralink thing, as far as the Ghostbusters trap goes, uh, remember, that's something that we're not talking about a lot now. But for a time, we were getting these 
stories, we were getting these articles that were, were published talking specifically about immortality, about people being able to upload their consciousness, their consciousness into machines. Now, how that is all connected, uh, I think it's very connected. Nobody's talking about it from the standpoint of consciousness being uploaded and immortality being achieved via cybernetics anymore. But th- th- those those hypothetical conversations started first, and that's where like, oh yeah, okay. Yeah, anybody that you, you know, anything that is being offered to the uh, the public as a as one thing or the other some sort of a public service or a or a product or whatever you know a it's already obsolete b somebody has something better wherever it accounts so whatever they're going to offer the public as far as immortality is going to be the burger king version of immortality you are going to be uploaded onto a flash drive somewhere you're just gonna be dead and all of your information is going to be taken, and you're going to be turned into one of the uh, the mechanical pirates at the Pirates of the Caribbean ride in Disney. That's what it's going to be. You want to be yeah immortal? You're going to be singing Yo Ho Ho in a bottle of rum forever in that fucking ride. Nobody's giving you immortality. Not on this earth. All right, let's go to the lost and found line. We have some lost and found stories here. What is going on? Four one four. You're on the air. Hi. Hey, how are you? Good. Good. Nice talking to you, Frank. Uh, first time caller. Oh, uh, what's your name? I have a, Andy. Andy. I am so happy to talk with you, Andy, because I want to definitely get a few of these stories on the record tonight. So you are the first one up. Tell us all about this. Well, kind of. I, I, I don't know if you could technically say it's a lost and found story that involves time because the thing that was lost and the thing that was found happened on the same day. But it uh, was quite uh, quite amazing uh, in my book. Uh, our children were young at the time. We were uh, back in 2006, and we were paddling canoes with another family in the backwaters of uh, the Mississippi and uh, the Wisconsin-Iowa border. And then kind of like slows, they call them back there. It's not on the main river. It's kind of like... Uh, uh, like you know, and down you know, it's slows of water, swamp, uh, swamp areas that's got current going through it, and we were paddling canoes with another another family, and uh, my wife had one of those uh, digital cameras at the time with lots of photos on it from many family pictures, and uh, and I was taking a photo with the camera, and uh, it dropped into the into the river into the uh, flow. Hmm. with current moving through it and basically it was like oh oh, crap that's gone that's there goes our hundreds of family pictures into the into the mississippi you know and we just wrote it off as we were paddling around the flows the rest of the afternoon we kind of looked kept looking saying oh maybe we'll see it but it's kind of would have been quite amazing because there's current moving through it at water goes from right two feet deep to, you know, six feet deep, and it's full of swamp and okay. all and snags and stuff like that, and you just assume you're it's gone, and we're ba- paddling back, and 
and there's no way of knowing where you are because it's not a place we are familiar with, and it's kind of like a maze of waterways. Okay, so at this and, point, uh, at this point, Andy, you're, you 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 lost the you lost the uh, the camera. You think all is lost. Yeah. You go on with your day, and then what's the big finish? The big finish is we see the camera uh, snug in a, a snag in the water. And we were able to retrieve the memory card, which still had the photos on it, but the camera was ruined. It, uh, but uh, it was a, it was an upside. <laughs> Isn't that the best you know? thing about the, the the digital age? That yeah, you might have lost a camera, but it's a lot easier to just if that camera if you know you 2006 if you went by went back 10 more years and you just had some regular kodak uh you know tape slung the, the, the film the tape that, that you i remember loading those up those cartridges it's gone man everything's gone yeah. but uh that's great i'm i well thank you for being the first call andy and i'm, I'm glad that you got through tonight well, thank you, Frank. Have a good night. There you go. And, and all those those uh, pictures on that line right there, man, oh, man. Man, oh, man. Those are miraculous pictures. Every time you look at that set, you can say, this existed for a time in the waters of the Mississippi, and now they're here with me. Well, the camera's gone, but whatever. That's fine. All right, 823. We're going to take a really, really quick break, and then we come back. Hey, you know what? We're going to take one more call. Then we're going to take a break. I'll round it off at 8.30. All right, 8.28. Go ahead. You're right there. Hey, Frank. Hey, how you doing? Good. Just now speaker. Yeah, just kill that real big so, good. Yeah, do you want a Elon Musk story or a Lawson Town story? Oh, give me the best one you got. Go ahead. So do you believe in mediums? Psychic mediums? Yeah, I think that there are definitely very talented people out there that, uh, and, I, and I think that to a degree we are all, we are all built with the equipment to be, um, to be more than what we are right now. And I think more people are in touch with that than others. Yeah. Yeah. So I'm I'm the guy that uh, lost his daughter Alea last mm. year. Rob. Rob. Yes. How yeah. are you? How are you, Rob? I'm. I'm hanging in there. It's been and, and by the and by the way, by the way, as I I, uh, I want to let you know that I actually came by your daughter's picture not too long ago. As I'm just rearranging things, and and uh, it was with uh, you know some personal effects from the show, and that I take very good care of. So, um, thank you. Yeah, thank you for thinking of me and 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 sharing your your family with me. Yeah. So, um, at her gravesite, there's this cement block thing that she and I made back in 2011 and we put like stones and marbles and all these other little things and then let it set overnight and um, Suzanne Giesman her and my wife she's pretty well known I like she's got a waiting list of like five years for readings right <clears throat> and she's given us two for free I shouldn't probably say that but um, but somehow Alea has been speaking with her. But anyways, uh, to, the story is there's, there was a marble missing out of the, the cement stone. And this is a little on the woo-woo side, so I'm not 100%. I don't know if I even I buy it, but one day she calls me up and says, Rob, I found this marble. And this is in another state, like Utah or something. And she's like, does this mean anything to you? I'm like, yeah, because I, I, this is one marble that, you know, the indentation of the marble would be round. 
I said, I've been looking for that fucking marble for months now because her, her grave site was pretty much dirt. So if anything would have fallen off it, I would have seen it wasn't, you know, hidden in grass or anything like that. So how would she have it? So she's like, I don't know. I don't, <laughs> I don't know if it's a symbolic thing or what, but it literally she, we, we went on a cruise to Alaska and she had, she had this 600 group people in this, on this cruise ship and she gave me the marble and it fit right in the same spot. And I'm not saying it's the same marble, but it's just really weird. But, you know, I was looking for that marble and then she finds a marble and, you know, right. That, that, we, we go on a cruise and then she gives me the marble, pulls me out of the audience, gives me the marble and I take it back and it fits just perfectly. So, and it, it was the same color and everything because I, I remember it. So, well, yeah. I, I, that, that definitely counts. That definitely counts because that is, that's just got a, uh, a little bit of a mystical quality to this story, no, no doubt. I that counts, Rob. And thank you for, for yeah. leaving that with us. And let me let me say something about the the brain implant from Elon Musk. I have a Tesla Model Three, and I I, I didn't buy it because I'm trying to save the planet. I bought it because it's fast as hell. Mm -hmm. But today the thing glitched out on me. Oh, great! <laughs> and I couldn't use my turn signals. The whole display was blank. Wow! So I'm saying to put something in your brain. Like from that, I don't know. Computers flake out sometimes, or they can get hacked. So I'm not recommending that anybody. I I think I read the article today too, and it was like ten people that are going to be guinea pigs for that. But oh I, yeah, and that's I don't know thing. that I want my brain opened up and you know a chip put in there. No, we've been saying it. We've been saying it for a long time. Thank you so much, call for the call, Rob. All the best to you and your family. And I can't wait to come back and uh, and and sign on again on Monday night and have you all be watching. Thank you. Yeah, and I heard you're doing uh, NDE people, yes, like a day or two ago you mentioned that. We've got some great NDE uh, guests coming up next week. We've got Nurse, Nurse Penny Whitbro, and then we have Dr. Evan Alexander after her on consecutive days. Thank you for doing that, because I've been really struggling with my daughter's passing, and I've been watching a lot of NDE videos just to make myself feel better about the way she passed because a lot of them are actually really good you know like it's it's relieving and the people really enjoy it i mean they don't want to come back right yeah and for you to have those people on i, I do appreciate that i'm definitely gonna be watching it next week well i hope you Thank get you. i hope you get a lot out of it and i'll be looking for uh some feedback from you afterwards let me know what you thought okay will do all, all right. right thank you take care sir there you go um and as far as the as far as the, the brain ship goes, uh, I would say 100% yes. We've been talking about that for a, a long time. A, if search engine manipulation is so effective, a little bit of a tweak of the kind of headlines that people get, the answers that they get to the inquiries, if it is so effective that it can change and shift demographics' voting patterns in extraordinary ways, and that is still with our phones and our computers not attached to us, that we interface with it, we sit in front of it, we hold it in our hands, but we can throw it away and we can be free of it all. Can you imagine, can you imagine a life where the computer is in your head and every thought you have is fact-checked? If you want to think about something and get an answer to it, who the hell is running that search engine? I mean, you know it's going to be internet connectivity. 
if you're going to be if if people who are not paralyzed or whatever are going to be using Neuralink to to uh, interface with uh, artificial intelligence, there's going to be a digital link to it all. It's going to be hackable. What happens when the brain chip you have gets a computer virus? What happens when a network of connected brains is infected by some kind of malware? Maybe somebody has an answer to that. Maybe it's not possible. How is it not possible? I would like to know how it's not possible. Um, but yeah, let's go uh, real quick with these super chats and then we're going to come back and do some more. Justin Polgar, my good friend from Yes Cacao, says, Lover from the Yes family, grateful for the evergreen value you continue to create, Frank. Bless the Franklies and happy fifth birthday to Orion. Happy birthday, Orion. And Orea as well soon. What a great family. I hope to hang out with them again soon, too. Um, and, but, uh, you know, I'll be eating uh, <clears throat> I'll, I'll be eating some of your chocolate over the weekend. Uh, I don't know about the bull testicle stuff. But maybe if you just had... Did you send Jay Glenello any, any bars of bliss? Or like that? Maybe some bliss. I don't know if I'm... <laughs> I don't know about the testicles and the fallopian tubes. <laughs> but... Um, yeah, I love the Polgars, and I love Yes Cacao. That's all on the affiliates page, by the way. Jump into it, ladies and gents. That is a health food right there. Um, okay, real quick, we will be right back from a, a break. Don't go anywhere. Hope you don't mind sharing a cab. Oh, no, no problem. It's just right up ahead here on Fifth Avenue. This street has changed a lot in 30 years. <coughs> <coughs> So where are you going? A broker's meeting. New York Realtors. Oh, well, you know there's going to be a lot of money made in real estate in the future. Really? Where? Oh, um, well, I bet there are going to be a lot of taller buildings all around here. And, um, hmm, might even be some big glass tower right there next to Tiffany's. There you go. Thanks. Come on, Donald. Hello, Mr. Trump. Trump? See ya. Oh, out of proportion. Are you still Canadian, or did you yes. renounce that after 9-11? What? 9-11, remember what happened? <laughs> Howdy, friend. You looking for a message board? Go to quitefrankly.tv and enter the forum. Engage with official show topic threads or start your own thread. Get signed up that easy and it's not reddit so don't sweat it for the forum and then so much more it's quite frankly dot tv yeehaw
Frankie, this is it. This is all there is. You get a job, you make a living. You meet a girl, you get married, and you have kids. There's nothing else to it. Oh, this can't be it. Right? I mean, what if I want to do something else? Like what? I don't know. Will you quit asking me? Look how miserable. You're miserable. You are. You're miserable. You know what you got to do? You got to find yourself a hobby. Hobby? That's right. You got to get something that's going to give you pleasure. Like me and my lawn. Get out! Get out! You little ah, bastard! Papa, are you going to get out! Nuts! Don't hit the cat! The heat from his body's burning a hole in my lawn. some more calls we got time for some more calls uh we got time for some more super chats too this one is from jimmy d says frank random question have you been able to show aurora indiana jones yet i guess that's a reference to my um my pre-pregnancy thoughts about how i would love to can't wait to, to watch indiana jones with my child at that time we didn't know if it was gonna be a boy or a girl have you been able to watch Aurora Indiana Jones? No, no. The, the short answer is no. She's not ready for that yet. But um, also, Jimmy says, which film is your favorite of the first three? Well, they're the only three. Um, but you know, I think Raiders is the best, the better film. But The Last Crusade is just so much, so damn fun. It's the, and it's more too than, it's the father-son thing too. Sean Connery just brings it to a new level. The father-son story is just too good. And you know what sticks out to me? Let me find that clip. Hold on. Wait a second. Hold on a second. Let me find that clip. Uh... Okay. Yeah. Here it is right now. This is the clip that makes that uh, stand. A lot does, but as I get older, I start seeing things differently. I start picking out new favorite parts and all all the uh, all the films that I watch. But you know that part in in Last Crusade when Doctor Jones Senior slaps Junior for using the Lord's name in vain. There's a very specific reason why this got it got to me. Um, here, let's watch it for a second. I just found the clipper. Hopefully that the, the, uh, the audio on this is, is loud enough. It's on YouTube. Hold on. Blast that and pray for the best. Remember? I wrote them down in my diary so that I wouldn't have to remember. Half the German army's on our tail, and you want me to go to Berlin? Into the lion's den? Yes. The only thing that matters is the grail. What about Marcus? Marcus would agree with me. Two selfless martyrs. Jesus Christ. That's for blasphemy. Remember? That's for blasphemy. Now, why is that so 
why I think it's so so cool. Well, you know, remember when we uh, I said about The Exorcist last week? I was talking about it with the Zells, the movie The Exorcist. Having that conversation with my parents about the reaction to The Exorcist when they went to the theaters to see it when it came out, how people are walking out of the 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 theater, they're walking back out, they're taking breaks, being petrified of it, and. Um, you know, and of course, you know, making comments today like, "Oh, I don't know what you know what the whole the whole big deal was." It's not the because it, it, it's not. And I said you're missing the point. It's not about whether or not the pea soup vomit that they were using for the Exorcist looked real or looks any more or less real as it did back then, because the real thing that scared you was that it was real. Now, maybe people have been convinced that that world and that the ability to be possessed and that the the spirit world is filled with diabolical things that could happen to you, things that you just can't do away with, all right? That is something that was very real. And on the flip side of that, in Indiana Jones with, uh, with Dr. Jones, with Senior over here slapping Junior in the face for blasphemy, it isn't just dad's personal opinion or his personal belief that God is real, all right? God is real and active in these movies, which I always really liked. Both the Ark of the Covenant and the Holy Grail, they exist as proof of that. And I, uh, and it, that's always what made the Indiana Jones films that cozy because they weren't, they weren't just chasing something of physical importance. Like I, I really enjoy the the National Treasure film with um, with Nicolas Cage. I really enjoy that one. You know, you have all those lost lost treasures and Alexandria and this and that. Even the second one was decent. I just like those treasure hunt kinds of things. You know, when you're looking for artifacts of just incredible historical importance, but there's something else when you have a supernatural element to what you're looking for, and to have that that presence be there with you in the room. And even though you are standing in its presence and you can, you, you know, you are there to attain it, you better behave with it or else it will, I mean, you still do not have dominion over it. And, um, I, I, that's just one of those things that I don't, um, you know, as a kid, I see, okay, well, he slapped him across the face because he took the Lord's name in vain, and that's a, uh, a one of the commandments were broken. But it's so much more than that now when you look at it, and I love that. I, I little things like that really uh, really get me these days. All right, let's take a call. A call from eight one six. You're on the air. Go ahead. Hello. Hello. Is this Frank? Yes, it is. Who's this? Oh my gosh, this is Shot CO two. But um, my Shot- name is Shotzi. Shotzi. I am not the Shotzi. Oh, no. okay. You- I, I'm another Shotzi. Another Shotzi. Well, it's good to meet you, new Shotzi. <laughs> awesome. Um, I just want to say happy birthday to Aurora. She's about like nine or ten days older than my son. Oh, what's your son's name? <laughs> Clark. Clark. What a great name. Is he awake still? Oh, thank you. Pardon me? Is he awake still? Yes, he is. Wow, he's got Aurora's been sleeping for an hour and forty minutes now. Well, we're we're in Missouri. It's a little earlier. Oh, oh, that's right. So yeah, yeah, she she has yeah. she's had some seven forty p.m. nights the last couple of weeks. Okay. 
That's fine then. Yeah. Hello to yeah. Clark. Hello, Clark. I know. I, I try to stick to a strict bedtime, but yeah. It's all right. I, I'm happy that Clark gets to hang out with me a little bit. All right. So what's on your mind? Yeah. Well, I just heard you talk about The Exorcist. I just tuned in. Okay. And I thought I would call and tell her happy birthday, but... The Exorcist was the only scary movie that I could not watch alone. I was terrified. Uh, There's still it's still something that makes me really uncomfortable. For a long for a long time, for a long time there were two scenes. Well, there was two. No, there was one character, but there was especially two scenes in movies that I really, really hated watching, and I avoided them like the plague when I was younger. Um, number one was I, I've said it before. I really. The 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 hearse the 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 hearse driver from that movie um, Burnt Offerings, uh, that really okay. really free. He's just this creepy smiling hearse driver that's very menacing, and he would always just smile. I haven't seen that. Yeah, yeah. Well, it's it's I a watch that this season. It's a weird it's a weird film, but and it's a it's I think that Betty Davis was in it. It's one of the last things she did. I don't I don't know. Anyway, that that made me weird. But in The Exorcist, a lot of things made me uncomfortable, but the one of the things that really got me was when um, Dominic goes back into the room. He Now he's all on his own to exorcise Reagan, and he goes back into the room, and he sees his mother sitting at the, at the edge of the bed, and she is just looked like she's like white as a ghost, and she's just sitting there looking at him silent, and that, whoa. I, there was many years that I couldn't, yeah, that's, that was messed up. Yeah, yeah, that's that's not the part for me. It's when she spins her head around. Yeah, that that was but all that that was all right for me. <laughs> that 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 was all right. You know, it was, it was sick. Um, one of the deleted scenes, uh, Shotzi, was where um, where she walks down. Well, actually, she runs down the stairs in that kind of like uh, that bridge position. The upside down. Yeah. Yes. Oh. For a while, that was a deleted scene. Running down the stairs in a bridge position. Holy shit. Yeah, there's a, there's a okay. lot in there that stays yeah. with you. That's nasty. Uh, that and um, Pet Cemetery with the sister with her spina bifida. That, mm-hmm. uh, that's that's the other scene for me. Pet Cemetery. Pet Cemetery is, uh, yeah, that's one that'll sneak up on you. Uh-huh. But, um, yeah, but yeah. One. All right. Well, I guess we're on the same page with all that stuff, Shotzi. If there's nothing else, I want to thank you for calling in. Uh, Yeah, I'm totally. I'm so excited that I could actually get through. Well, (laughs) well, do it more often and tell tell Clark I said have a good night. Okay. Clark, say hi. Hi. Hey, what's going on, man? What's up? Nothing. What's up with you? Did you just eat? Are you gonna say something? What did? Nothing. Oh, okay. He said, "What happened?" Now I asked okay. him. I asked him what he ate for dinner. Oh, he's eating chicken. Oh, okay. Yep. Oh, good for him. He's, yeah. All right. Yeah. Well, have a good night, Shotzi. Thank you for everything. Cool. Yes, I'll call again. All right, later. There you go. She got through. She got through. All right, let's go to some lost and found on the thread. There's some really good ones here. Listen to this one. This is from Leanna. Leanna he, and why. Says 1976. I let my sister use my car to go to the grocery store. Her purse was in my, uh, was with my only set of keys, and I was more than upset about losing the the key ring. 
than I was about having to have a locksmith make me a new key. The key ring was a limited edition Spirit of 76 that was a gift from my sister-in-law. Fast forward to 1996, my friend, my friend Claude was newly sober and would walk the streets of the college town half the night. He found an old wooden silverware box that he picked up out of the trash and took home. Inside was a Spirit of 1776 key ring, which he gave to me. It was my original with my engraved initials. What? Now that's crazy. Wow. It's 1976 to 1996. Her friend was just newly sober walking around and found silverware box. And it was the original one. Wow. That's a good one. Here's one from Vesper. It says, my grandfather was a wrestler in college. He lost his wrestling medal um, in... Lake Couturier in northern Wisconsin. God knows when. I'm guessing in the 20s or the 30s. Someone with a metal detector found it in the lake. They tracked down my mother, and we were reunited with Grandpa's medal in the 1990s. Crazy, as it was the size of a dime. Really? Wow, that is small. I thought, you know, I, I think in wrestling, I'm thinking of a medal. I'm thinking either something that is big, you know, like the Olympic medal, or I'm thinking about the, the belts. Here's one for you. Listen to this. This is from Jeff Bob. It says, in 1995, my buddy Lonnie purchased a high-end boutique guitar amplifier company called Fat Boy Amplification from an amp designer named Norbert Funk in Chicago, Illinois. These guitar amps were incredible, and both Manny's and Rudy's in NYC could not keep them in stock. Pure gold. As a guitarist myself, I was in charge of graphic design and also artist development for the company. We built amps for the likes of Jeff Beck, rest in peace, Carlos Santana, Guar, oh, Mark Swan will be like that, and many other stellar players. They all gave them rave reviews, as did Guitar Player Magazine. We relocated the manufacturing facility from the Midwest to Dallas-Fort Worth and then began locally sourcing everything from the cabinetry to the knobs, uh, the components, the handles. One day, my friend came in to the shop and told me we needed to take uh, one of the prototypes and get it ready to go to NAM in Nashville. I've been to NAM before, but only in California. In one week, we had a prototype cabinet and chassis uh, built for a combo model the uh, that was called the Chubby. And as we were nearly late for our flight with the car running and the trunk open, all we needed was a handle to carry it on to Nashville. A handle. I quickly found a sample handle that I had ordered, screwed it on just in time to grab the amp and throw it in the trunk. We rushed to the DFW. And I, lo uh, I lugged that 80-pound uh, albatross onto the plane through airports all the way to the hotel. This was back when you could still carry things onto airlines. It was not a portable thing as I, as I humped it through the NAM show and what felt like everywhere in Nashville. That freaking, that freaking amp became the bane of my existence for the next five straight days till we finally landed safely back in Dallas. I really did not care if I ever saw it again. Flash forward, the business eventually closed, and I left Texas and Fatboy behind, moved to Atlanta for a while, then finally settling in uh, Old Saybrook, Connecticut. I was always a little sore that I had put so much time into that company and didn't even get an amp out of it. No bragger's rights. 
So I made the decision that I needed to find an amp of my own to complete that chapter of my life. On and off over the years, I'd been doing random searches online in hopes of finding one floating around out there and always coming up dry. In 2005, I launched a magazine called Inc. here in Connecticut. Over time, came uh, came into uh, some fuck it money. Good for him. So I began searching more regularly to find a fat boy. So he wants to find one of these things that he had made years and years ago. And to get a piece of my history back, One day in 2012, I came across a used combo on eBay. There was a single poor quality photo on the listing. Oh, I know exactly where this is going. There was a single poor quality photo on the listing. The guy who had it was in Michigan, and he really didn't know uh, how much, if anything, or much, if anything, about it. These amps had since become rare. So sight unseen, I doubled down on the auction with a $1,700 bid as to not let this fish get away. I eventually won the auction for $700, and so it was meant to be. I was stoked and could not wait to, for the UPS guy to show up with my new baby from the same company that I had helped start back in 1995. Like a grown kid waiting for Christmas, finally, after seven long days, I saw the UPS truck ripping down our driveway, playing down my enthusiasm. I went out to greet him, thanked the driver, lugged that damn box out of the sidewalk right in front of my house, and cut it open then and there. To my astonishment, the first thing I saw when I opened the box was the exact same handle Knew it was going there. That's awesome. The exact same handle that I had screwed on 17 years earlier. It was also at the moment that I realized I had purchased back the Chubby, the Albatross, the bane of my existence, the exact same amp that I had left in Dallas a decade and a half before, and all that from some guy in Michigan who had absolutely no idea where it came from. Some things are just meant to be. That's an awesome story. Wow. Whole night is justified now. This whole broadcast has been justified because of Jeff Bob's story. That's great. Really, really terrific. And there's one more that just came in on the... So I'm going to read that real quick. Um, I didn't get the, I didn't find this item year until years after I lost it, but to do the significance of it, I think it is relevant to this thread. This is from Kenny in Cleveland. I was gifted a gold crucifix for my first communion by my parents when I was eight years old. It was beautiful and I cherished it. I wore it around my neck every day. When I was around 12 years old, riding my bike with friends, I came home one night and realized it was gone and I was absolutely beside myself. I was disappointed that I had lost one of my prized possessions and I also a precious gift from my parents. We searched everywhere we could think of for a few days and had no luck finding it. So a few weeks I could uh, I would look around here where I thought I would uh, retrace my steps and still had no luck. One day my dad and I decided to take a walk around the block by my friend's house where I had been riding my bike and take a look around the street. My dad looked down and lo and behold pressed down into the soft tar in the middle of the street was my cross. It had been run over many times, scuffed, scratched, and its gold finished, tarnished, and beat up, by. Uh, but it remained solid. The prayer to St. Anthony paid off. I brought it home, I put it back in its original box, and did not bring it out until many years when I got deeply in touch with my faith. My mother brought me a new crucifix for my 30th birthday, but this one will always mean more to me than anyone will ever know. It was beautifully uh, beautiful originally, but I think the uh, tarnished look makes it more unique and the story behind it even more special. Let's see, he sent us a picture of it. 
there it is. Survived, survived the traffic. Run over, but still standing firm. Just like all of us. Yeah, we're getting run over and beat up a little bit, but we're still standing firm. And I want to thank you all for spending some time with me tonight. Wonderful calls. I'm sure we could have taken uh, many, many more. But it is Wednesday, and there is plenty of plenty of uh, rabbit hole fun going on. Hold on. Uh, rabbit hole, let me see. Yeah, over on quitefrankly.tv, it's Wednesday night, so get on over there. Because as soon as we're finished here, the night just begins over there. And I will be popping in to say hello. I have a lot of things to uh, to do tonight to prepare for my trip tomorrow. So um, I will definitely have the network on, streaming in the background. I'll get into the I'll get into the chat room, see how everybody's doing. But go over there, have a good time, and uh, let me just make sure I get all of our super chats out of the way. Thank you again to 10TCB, who just bought a, a bronze tier prescription. Uh, a prescription. I'm going to be doing those too. Prescriptions for everybody. Who just got a bronze tier subscription on Foxhole, which 10TCB, you know that gets you, right? It's not just that you are a subscriber now on Foxhole and every month a little bit of money goes to the network, but you are now a legit sponsor for everything. And you are going to, you're going to be getting links sent to you for private streams, for Sunday streams, for book clubs. Um, that is going to be sent to you directly through your DMs on Foxhole and Pilled.net. So you have become a sponsor of the show. Okay, between Patreon, Subscribestar, directly through QuiteFrankly.tv, and also Foxhole. Those are the four main ways to become a monthly sponsor where we can actually fulfill a universal set, at least a universal set of, of perks. So welcome ahead. Welcome aboard. 10 TCB, it's great to have you on. And thank you, Captain Flint, for a wonderful can. Can of whoop-ass. All right, well, I think that's all we got. Thank you, Jay Semo and Stephen Ellis over on the Rumble Rants. And then, um, and then yes, thank you again to Justin Polgar, to Jay Brits and Stostube. I will see you all soon, and keep your notifications on. I don't know if I'll be going live. I don't know what kind of a technological situation we're going to be, deal, de, be dealing with, but I'm bringing my laptop, my microphone, well, everything else I'm going to need to at least be able to record some stuff and upload it afterwards. So if you aren't subscribed to any podcast version of this show, you should do that. Either SoundCloud, where I host it, there is iTunes, there is Spotify, there's Google, there's so many other things. So be on the lookout for that this weekend, and I will see you Sunday night at 9 p.m. on Matt Christensen's channel, but also on QuiteFrankly.tv, where we will be live syndicating that right there. And that's uh, that's it. Sunday night begins the new broadcast week. So we'll see you. Good night. I'll catch you on the flip side. Quite frankly, this film before a large, wonderful, busty, beautiful audience. And now our Super Chats. From Justin Polgar at YesCacao.com, Jay Britz, Stostube, 
Stephen Ellis, Jay Semo, and a wonderful array of people on Foxhole on QuiteFrankly.tv. I'm releasing that scratch in right now. Thank you guys and gals for always welcoming me, welcoming me into your home. And I look forward to the next week with you. Good night. something we're going to see in the future is a lot of companies forego.